Welcome to Dominion Today with Kevin and Chantel Davis, a podcast where you will learn how to discover your calling, live your purpose, and fulfill your destiny. By listening to these episodes, you'll build the confidence you need to operate in dominion and authority so you can walk in the revelation of the victory that belongs to you in Christ Jesus. Now, here's your host, Kevin Davis. And today I'm going to be talking about the rise of the remnant. The rise of the remnant. I see some of you already getting excited because you know what it is and you already identify as being part of the remnant of God. So this morning we're going to delve into that and I'm going to unpack this for you from the book of Judges chapter 7. Verse 1, it says, Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all these men camped at the spring of Harod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people that anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10 thousand remained but the Lord said to Gideon there are still too many men take them down to the water and I will sift them for you there if I say then this one shall go with you he shall go but if I say this one shall not go with you he shall not go verse 5 so Gideon took the men down to the water There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneeled down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. Then the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place, each to his own tent. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites then to their tents. But keep the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. So what I want to deal with this morning is I actually want to not only highlight the remnant, but I want us to look at the four kinds of Christians, the four groups, the four camps of Christians that we find even to this very day. In, 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 in short, here are those four groups of Christians, four kinds of Christians. Number one, those who are not willing and not able. They are not willing and they are not able. Number two, the second group are those who are able but not willing. They are not, uh, they are able, but not willing. Number three, those who are willing, but not able. They are willing, but not able. And then number four, those who are both willing and they are fully able. In other words, we are talking about the remnant. But number one, Those who are not willing and not able. In Judges chapter 7 verse 12, it says this. The Midianites 
the Amalekites and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley. Thick as locusts, their camels could no more be counted from the sand of the seashore. So when you looked upon the camp of the enemy, they were as thick as locusts. When you looked upon their camels, they were like the sand of the seashore. So in other words, when you looked at the sand or when you looked at the camels, there were so many camels that you just saw this brown mass that it actually looked like it was the beach. That's what it, that's what it basically says and indicates. But a people so large, so mighty that they look like locusts. The Bible, when you actually begin to study it and you look at the groups of people, the Midianites as well as the Amalekites that were partnering up to come and totally and utterly destroy the people of Israel. When you actually do that and you count it up, you find that there were about 135,000 soldiers of the enemy coming against the people of Israel. But what happened was this. The call went forth in Judges chapter 6. I didn't read that part, but just the previous chapter. Judges 6 verse 34. What happened was is Gideon blew the trumpet and called all the northern tribes of the Israelites to come together to fight. He blew the trumpet and out of all the northern tribes, the people would have heard the call. When they heard the trumpet, it was the call to arms. It was the call to war. We're about to go to war. The trumpet was sounding and the men had to respond by faith. They had to respond because they had to protect their land. They had to protect their, 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 their families. They had to protect their livelihood. They had to protect their country. But what is so sad is that out of that trumpet call, the Bible says that only 32,000 men responded to the call. Do not tell me that out of all the northern tribes, there were only 32,000 men. Think about this for a moment. Every single one of them would have understood the significance of them being that first line of defense. They, in essence, had everything to lose. If the enemy had come in and had broken through that line, they would be easy picking. They would be totally and utterly destroyed. Their children would be taken as slaves. Their wives raped or taken as slaves. So they had everything to lose. Yet despite that, only 32,000 men responded. There had to be more. Many more would have heard the call, but only 32,000 responded. There were many more men who were, were of fighting age, you can say. There were many more men, men who understood that they had everything to lose, but they simply decided not to respond. You know, this is something which we find even in the church today, you know, it's all kinds of excuses. Because now it's too early, tomorrow it's too late, today it's too cold, next month it's too hot. And people do not want to inconvenience themselves. They do not want to truly step outside of their comfort zone. 
even if you can identify the enemy and the scheme of the enemy, you understand the game plan of the enemy. And you know that it is up to you to defend your family, to defend your nation, to rise up. But there were men who decided that they were not going to involve themselves in this plan. Despite knowing that they had everything to lose. Number two, those who are able but not willing. They are able but not willing. In verse 3 of Judges chapter 7, Gideon says to the people, he says to the 32,000 men, he says to them, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So any one of you, if you tremble with fear, if you are standing here now, he is addressing the 32,000 men. If you are trembling with fear, not if you're somewhat scared, not if you are just somewhat uncertain about where your life is going to be a week from now, but if you are trembling with fear, if you are overcome, paralyzed by fear, then please just return. Leave. Right there and then, without hesitation, without consultation, 22,000 men, just leave. Think about that for a second. Have you ever been in a situation before where you were dropped by people? Where you were disappointed by people? You, you depended on them? They were supposed to be in a position, but they just backed out of it last minute. Think about Gideon in that moment. He knows he's about to face 135,000 enemy soldiers. Only 32,000 respond. Hey, the odds are already tremendously against you. He would have already been disappointed. But you know what? He's the man of God. He's the man of the hour. He's the general in the army. So he's going to rally the troops irrespective of how many there are. He's not going to make them believe that, you know, he is himself a little bit worried about the possible outcome of this conflict and battle. So he would do his best to to motivate, to inspire hope, to inspire courage. So this is where we as leaders have to dig deep so that we can still remain that pillar of strength and remain that pillar of inspiration to those whom we are leading, despite the odds, despite what we are facing. And so we would have done that. And maybe he would have delivered that speech to the 32,000 says, any one of you, who tremble with fear. You may leave right now. Maybe he was thinking like no one will leave. Everyone is going to say with one voice, we are with you, Gideon. (laughs) And what happens? They're like, okay. And they leave. 22,000 with like that in an instant. And a oogwink. He suffers a 70% loss of his army. Two-thirds, poof, gone. He had 32,000. 22,000 left. He has 10,000 remaining. 
thousand against a hundred and thirty-five thousand. It's going to be a slaughter. It's a suicide mission. That's what he would possibly be thinking in that moment in the natural. You know, we have the, 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 the privilege of reading this from hindsight because we know what happens. But understand, they were in that moment not knowing that natural outcome. It's always easy to read something from the perspective of hindsight. You know, if you knew, you know, just like where you would be seven days from now and how the Lord would come through for you, you would not even be worried about that which you are facing and having to deal with now. So Gideon was in that moment like you are now, not knowing how this is going to unfold. <laughs> and so what happens is this. These men walk away. They run away. They were too afraid. Some other men might have just thought, like, I've got better things to do. You know, and think about this. These were hardened, battle-hardened men. These were men who had fought many battles before. It's not like it's the first time ever. They had fought many battles. Just read the Bible. Read the Old Testament. These men knew how to fight. Every single month there was fighting. There were wars and rumors of wars all the time. You, every single king back in the day, back in these times, every time when it was summer, you went out to war. That was just a given. You went out to war. Every summer, every spring, every summer, poof, you go out to war. That's just the way of the game. That was how it was back then. So these were battle-hardened men. But then when they were given the opportunity to walk away, they did not even hesitate. In other words, it leads me to believe that their heart was not in it from the beginning. Because for them, when the going got tough, they left. And this reminds me of what we face even to this very day as, as Christians talking about us in this environment. Where we would have a vision and we grab hold of the vision. But when the going gets tough, people want to leave. They want to jump ship. You know, we'll come back when it's established. We'll come back when, it's, when things are great. You know, we'll come when there's a picnic. We'll come where there's a party. We'll, you know, people want to enjoy the privilege of being part of a family, but do not want to take the responsibility of being part of a family. It's selfishness. It's rooted in selfishness, and it's childish. Because it is the same thing as within a natural family where your children would say, I would not, I'm not going to clean my room. I'm not, not going to you know, take care of myself and my grooming, my hygiene and my whatever else. I'm not going to worry about that. But hey, the next time we go to the restaurant, I'll go with you. The next time we go out and you know, go to the, wherever we're going to go out and play, we, we can do, do something fun. I'll go with you. But that's selfish. That's childish. And this is where these men were at. So when the going gets tough, the tough actually get going. They do not fall back. They do not desert. They do not leave. When the going gets tough, the tough gets going. I want to encourage you with this. Whenever you feel like quitting, remember why you started. 
whenever you feel like quitting, remember why you started. You've been called for a time such as this. You have been called for a time such as this. And Chantal is saying, even in the area of your marriage, when you want to quit on your marriage, remember why you started that. In the area of your business, when you want to quit your business, remember why you started it. It is so frustrating for us as men of God where people come to the altar Pastor, pray for me. I'm wanting to start my own business. We pray for you. There is a word that comes to you. There is a promise of God. And you respond on the promise of God, on the basis of His promise, and you step out in faith. And then you face challenges as any new business owner is going to face. But then, poof, you want to quit. And then you come to the man of God, the same man of God that prayed with you. Oh, I'm just going to quit this. It's just too tough right now. You know, in essence, you're just throwing it in God's face. Because God has answered your prayer. He has opened up a door for you. Have the boldness to enter in. Have the courage to stay. To face every adversary. Every single challenge. Challenges are actually good for you. You see, when I had a revelation of challenges that I face, and I begin to sort in a different light. I'm telling you, it's like you begin to enjoy challenges. This is why I never use the word problem, because there's never a problem. The moment you use the word problem, your mind has been conditioned and programmed to believe that a problem does not have a solution. But the moment you say something is a challenge, there is something on the inside, because we understand the word challenge to mean I challenge you. And there is something that rises up from within you. I'm going to conquer this challenge. I'm going to rise to this, the expectation or the level of this challenge. I'm going to, I'm going to conquer this thing. I'm going to overcome it. I'm going to solve this. And this is why I don't use the word problem. It's a challenge. But challenges I've come to see as a good thing. It's something that I embrace. Why? Because every challenge I go through, it is actually an opportunity for me to increase my capacity. That is why it's good to be challenged. The fact that you are feeling challenged simply means that you've reached the level of your growth. Of your knowledge. Of your wisdom. But in order for you to expand. In order for you to feel like you are on top of this. Like you've got a grip on this. It demands growth and expansion. Because think about this, everything that you've ever wanted, everything that you've ever desired is found just outside of your comfort zone. But in order for that to become part of where you are at, that thing is not going to enter into your comfort zone. You have to expand, you have to grow so that it becomes part of where you are operating in and that level where you are walking in. So before you quit the next thing, remember why you started. Because understand that if you back down from a challenge, if you refuse to embrace the challenge and to see it as an opportunity for you to increase your capacity, you are saying to the universe, this is my limit. This is my ceiling. 
And then you live a life where you just idle through the rest of your years. That is in essence what happens. You can decide that this where I'm at right now, this challenge is just one challenge too many. And that will be your ceiling. You will not go beyond that place of you not accepting that next challenge. We understand that concept with the games that we play on our mobile devices. These puzzle games that we play. You cannot continue to the next level until you have conquered the level that you are on. Now maybe you use some mod, some cheat code. Some way for you to progress. You start now, you're stuck at level five. But you have or you manage a way... Or in a way, you get to the ability where you can actually morph. You go to, you, you bypass the other levels. And you skip them and you go to level 50. All of a sudden, you are going to be given different characters who have different characteristics. There's going to be special skills that they have. But you would not be able to utilize them to their full potential because you have not gone through the pro process. Because at every level, new characters are introduced. New skills are introduced. And it's only until you have mastered the skill that is presented and you have mastered the, the full potential of the character that you are offered a new character or characters with more skill sets. And that is the same thing how it operates in life. Because a lot of ways and a lot, a lot of people want to get to that place where all of a sudden, one moment, they are at where they're at. Your income level. Just think about what that is right now. You know where it is, whatever it is that you get per month. Whether it's 10000 a month or 20000 a month, 50000 a month, or maybe 100000 a month. You would know where you're at. But right now, if I were to say, where would you like to be five years from now? Everyone would say, I want to be at $10 million a month. Hallelujah. It sounds great, but if you have not mastered the level that you are on right now, if you have not demonstrated faithfulness where you are at, you will get to that level by some form of cheating or bypassing or sort of um, abusing the system to get ahead. And you will be in a position where you are over your head. And that which should be a blessing now ultimately destroys you. Because you do not have the character. You do not have the capacity that goes along with it. Understand, you know, a lot of times you talk to people and it's like, like people want to become homeowners. Understand with owning a home, there come certain responsibilities. Because people are like, hey, I want a five million rand home. Hallelujah. But you do not even want to spend 500 rands to service your air conditioner. And the problem is you're not going to service the air conditioner. And then three years later, it packs up and then the manufacturer says to you, sorry, we cannot replace it or repair it for you because now you have uh, not serviced it, which is part of the warranty agreement. Now it's out of warranty. Warranty is void because you have not wanted to pay the 500 rands a year service fee. I'm using that as an example. 
So make sure that where you are at right now, if you're wanting to go to that next, I'm not saying do not desire higher. Do not desire going further and deeper and into all that God has for you. But you have to conquer the level where you are at right now. You have to master it. The same is true with our giving, with, with, with how we honor the Lord. Lord, if you come through for me and make me a millionaire, I promise you I will give you the tithe. But if you are not faithful now, if you are not faithful in the little, how will you ever be faithful in the much? Because all of a sudden what happens is you do not, you, you might even feel like, Lord, you know, I'm, I get 5,000 rands a month and I just want to give 500 rands to you. Lord, 500 rands is so little in comparison to what the church needs. And, you know, because people have that perspective. And so like, you know, they're not even going to need it. They're not even going to, so Lord, it's, it's not even an issue. But then all of a sudden, when the Lord does come through for you, or there's a way in which you sort of manipulate the system, or however you get there where you get, now all of a sudden you're earning 5 million a month. Now all of a sudden, giving 500,000 rands to the church every month. Why do they need so much money? And so it's about being faithful where we're at. It's about mastering that level where we are are at before we can even think about progressing to the next level so do not shy away from challenges it is normal it is to be expected for you to be challenged but it is unbiblical for you to be defeated you will never be defeated as long as you remain in Christ you will never be defeated though you stumble you will never fall in Jesus' name. This brings me to this point about the importance of being planted, being firmly rooted and planted. I've spoken about this many times, but maybe for the sake of those who've never heard me use this and make this analogy. Take two separate fruit trees. Well, two of the same fruit trees from the same batch. Get two apple trees, two orange trees, two little ones. I'm talking about baby trees. The one you plant into fertile soil. Out there, fertile soil. The other one you put in a pot plant. And every three weeks or three months, you transplant that little tree into another pot plant. And then a few months go by, you transplant it into another pot plant. And then a few months go by and you plant that into another pot plant. Consider the growth over seven years. The tree, yes, it's faced various attacks with regards to the weather. It's had to endure rainstorms, thunderstorms, windstorms, hail, severe shifts in temperature it's been exposed to the elements it's been challenged in every way yet when you go after seven years you'll find fruit on that tree that was planted out there that was challenged on a daily basis challenged by its environment and you look at the one that's in the house you know that's been in pot plants and it's been planted continuously of a pot. Then it's an, you know, an embellished one. 
Then it's like, no, you want to go minimalistic. You just want to strip all those other fancy things away. Now it's minimalistic. And now all of a sudden you decide, no, it will be key mosaic. So now we transplant it into that. And it's like, no, it's not my thing anymore. You know, let, let's put that into another pot plant or another pot that now resembles the flavor of the month. But look at the difference. Consider the difference. Seven years later, that, that, that tree is going to look sick. It would have not grown much. And there will certainly not be any fruit found on it. That's the difference. The difference between a, a tree that should be planted out there in fertile soil. That can be a blessing to the people in the community that can come and enjoy the fruit that's on the tree. Versus something that was, had the intention of, I don't want to be exposed to the elements. I just want to be in the safety of a home. Yet that is your greatest debilitator. Safety. Comfort. Not wanting to go out there and be exposed to your environment. So plant yourself. Be rooted. Psalm 1 verse 3 in the Passion Translation. I love this. It says, He will be standing firm like a flourishing tree planted by God's design, deeply rooted by the brooks of bliss, bearing fruit in every season of his life. He is never dry, never fainting, ever blessed, ever prosperous. Wow. That to me seals the deal. The importance and significance about being planted. And this we can apply to anything in our lives. I'm talking about commitment. Committing to your marriage. I'm telling you, if you will commit to your marriage... You will enjoy the fruits of your labor, the fruits of your investment, investing your time, your energy, your resources, your love, dedication and care and nurture. I can go on. The same is true for any other area of your life. Instead of just changing from this one to that one, means this word, nie net wanneer voor het hulle trouw nie, selfs wanneer hulle klaar getrouw het. You know, all men need variety. Stop taking advice from your divorced uncle who knows nothing. Stop taking business advice from someone who cannot even rub two cents together. Asablief. But let's get back to a place where we make a commitment. Come on, I want you to say this with me. Say this. Say, I will not be moved. I will not be shaken. Though I stumble, I will not fall. I will not draw back. But I will stand firm in my faith. Amen. Come on, I want you to say this. I want you to say this. I am willing. Come on, I want you to say this like you mean it. Say this, I'm willing. I am willing. You see, there are many people, they are willing, but they're not able. But then there are those who are able, but they, oh, they are not willing. Number three, those who are willing, but not able. 
Verse 5 and 6 says, Then the Lord told them, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred men lapped with their hands to their mouth. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. So the three hundred who were brought to the water um, and who then brought the water to their mouths were the veterans, the most experienced soldiers in the group. Why? Just think about the setting. Just think about this. Just think about how weird this looks, okay? Here we have men who are thirsty. I mean, most probably they've been drilling them the whole morning. For those of you who went through any kind of basic training or army kind of style training, or you maybe you've seen a movie, okay? Let me just put it out there like that because, I mean, looking at the average age of, of those here today, uh, no. But if you've watched a movie where you've seen that, and just consider for yourself the greatest thirst that you've ever had. The greatest thirst that you've ever had. And yes, doors. You're like, the, if you just see water, you feel like you're going to jump into that river. You're going to drink that river dry. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. That is possibly where these guys are at. I'm just painting the picture for you so you understand. Because you, you read that and you're like, oh, they're drinking like dogs. Like, what, what is this all about? They were thirsty. And then Gideon said, there's water. Go down to the water and drink till you're satisfied. So some of those men ran to the water. They like ran into the water and they were like on their knees just drinking. But then there were the 300 these were the veterans. They were not going to let their fleshly desires get in the way of them first and foremost being a soldier. Because they would go where the others would let their guard down and be so focused on the water, they are no longer on the lookout for an ambush. The veterans were the ones who were looking, 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 went down to the water, and while they go down to scoop water, they were constantly looking. And then they brought the water to their face and they were drinking. They were not going to allow their fleshly side to distract them. They were not going to allow their carnal nature to distract them. And as a result of their distraction, be an open prey to the enemy. These were the veterans. So uh, look at... Look at people through the eyes of wisdom. The next people that you hire for your company, there's things, subtle things that you might be able to observe. Things that are communicated non-verbally through people's body language. Look at the people before you just employ them. Make sure that they have the attributes of that which you're looking for. That they have the character that is required to function properly within the ethos of your company or your organization. And then what happened? What I love about this is wisdom from Gideon. He didn't rebuke them and say to them, oh, you worthless people. How can you just go down on your knees and just jump in? Because remember, they were among those who stayed. They were among those who stayed. They were not trembling with fear. They just in that moment, because of their fleshly desire, it got the better of them. But let's not forget, they were willing. They were just not able. They were willing. So what does Gideon say? He says, 
Go back to your tent. Go back to your place of dwelling. Go back to the tent. Now the reason he says that is because he didn't say to them, go home. In other words, leave the camp, get out of here. But go to your tent. Why? Because they're going to a place where they're going to be, uh, be trained. Where they are going to be trained. Where they are going to be equipped so that they can be effective. Because you see, we'd rather have someone who is willing but not able. And train them to become able. As opposed to have someone who is fully able but not willing. And this is the place where we find ourselves right now. I will not mind working with you if you have no skill set whatsoever. But there is a willingness. There is a desire. You might not know how to do something now. But the very fact you come and you speak to me and you say to me, Pastor Kevin, I want to you know, be the next, call it, web developer for the church. And I'm like, listen, show me your portfolio. I want to see what you can do. And then you might say to me, Pastor Kevin, listen, I'm still just learning. I haven't really done much yet, so I don't have much of a portfolio to give you. And hey, I might look at the portfolio and show, you might show me the things that you've done. And hey, it might not be the best in the business as yet. But then when I give you certain tasks, you never say, oh, Pastor Kevin, I'm sorry. I don't know how to do that. You say, Pastor Kevin, I'm not, I'm not sure how to do that as yet. But you know what? Just give me a week and I'll learn. The kind of young people, where I, I just love the young people who, are, who have this willingness to learn. To, to grasp and to develop new skill sets. Going to YouTube in the evenings and watching tutorial after tutorial after tutorial. Investing in their skill. Investing by extension then also in their future. Training themselves, equipping themselves so that they can be effective. You know, you do not have, to, with today, you, in today's society, you do not have to spend thousands, tens of thousands, or hundreds of thousands to get an education. People are hiring people based on what they can do and deliver. I'm, I'm honestly not interested in you having a cum laude, magna cum laude, summa cum laude in your respective field. Whoop-de-doo, you cannot even be here on time. So do not come to me with your credentials and whatever is in front of your name or after your name. But you cannot even do the basics right. So I'm looking for people who are willing. We can develop your ability if you are willing to commit to that process. And then not even, I mean, I have to just say this again. Even in that process, when someone is pointed out, listen, the ability needs attention. Dan hoor die persoon en, oh, pastoor, sê ek sê goed genoeg nie. Ek is nie goed genoeg vir die kerk nie. Ek het net probeer help. And it's even in the most subtle of ways. You know, you, you, you make a cook sister today for whatever, and then, you know, Maybe everyone ate everything else except for your cook sister. And then you ask why. And then maybe we would say, well, you know, there was a little bit too much of something or too little of something. And I said, yeah, yeah, you see, 
Ek het nog eens verniet gedoen vir die kerk. En dit is nou hoe hulle dit doen. Dis recht. Daar is een ander kerk daarachter. Daar ivers wat my koeksister sal waardeer. Judging by your laughing. It sounds like you know what I'm talking about. And it is so sad when you actually paint it in that light. It actually sounds so pathetic. But you know what? That is what pastors have to contend with right now. Somewhere in Somerset West or Stellenbosch. That is unfolding right now. I promise you. There is a cook sister fight of a pannekoek fight happening right now. Somewhere it's happening. But getting back to this. They were willing, but they were not able. They needed to be trained. Which from a spiritual point of view brings me to this, which is discipleship. The need for discipleship. You are willing to do great things for God. But you're just not refined as yet. You know, you're willing. But the moment you take the microphone, all you do is just shout into it as loud as you can. Then I would have to say to you, listen, just tone it down a bit. Just tone it down. There's five people in front of you, not 50,000. And you do not have a PA system. Just tone it down a bit. And again, now it's going to be up to you how you receive that correction. Because it's not me rebuking you. It's not me being funny. It's not me. I'm wanting to help you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and notice Chantel's wording, rebuked. I just said I, it wasn't a rebuke, but now Chantel. So, I mean, there's been times, obviously, I'm my own biggest critic, okay? When I just started preaching, honestly, how I started, I didn't preach like this when I started. I had almost no self-confidence. I was literally just reading my sermons from a laptop that I had sort of hidden away from the from the congregation. They had no idea. I was literally just standing here, just sort of reading it. Just, you know, I was literally stationary, just behind the pulpit, just reading it, you know, just reading it, just reading it, just reading it, because I had no self-confidence. I had believed a lie from a person in the medical field who decided to diagnose me with ADHD, OCD, and a mild case of Tourette's. I mean, hello. Hello. And then he asked me, so what do you do? And I said, well, this is when I just, literally a few months after stepping into full-time ministry. That was right there in Otsar and where Marika was with us. And he said, you'll never be, so when I said I'm a pastor, he sort of, you know, unprofessionally just sort of smirked at me and said to me, understand, you'll have to find another profession because you'll never be able to preach. He said that you're going to be speaking to a group and then all of a sudden there's going to be something there and your mind is going to shift to that immediately and you are not going to be able to finish a sentence. And I believe that lie. I even took the medication that he prescribed and only after a few days that already began to turn me into some vegetable. I had no up, I had no down. I was just this constant drool face. And then I decided, you know what? This is not of God. This is the enemy. And I'm not saying that doctors are the enemy. I'm not saying that psychologists, psychiatrists or whatever is the study of the devil. And what I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying leave your medication cold turkey. I'm not saying that at all. That was the revelation that God had spoken to me about and how he appeared to me and how he spoke with me and how he brought correction to that situation. And as Chantal was saying, 
there were times that, you know, she would preach and I would listen to how she's preaching and how she's sharing something and I would just have to afterward, privately, just say, okay, Chantel, it was great. A couple of things. And I would mention it. But in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning, there are many things, okay? Just because you're just starting out, there are many things. Like the first service we had, there were many things that went wrong. And then we addressed them. And then the next week, we had many things, but it was fewer than the week before. Every week we're getting better, and that is a sign of progress. But sadly, many people just see the extent of the list, and it's like, I might as well just quit right now, because clearly I'm useless. That is how many people interpret that. No, you can get better. Just do not get offended. Embrace it. Because if I did not value you, if I did not see the potential, I would not even waste my time to sit down with you and say to you how you could be better. And so I would have this conversation with Chantal in the beginning. And let me be honest, she was not happy. She was, you know, if I can say this, I mean, the first time it was like, and I'm talking about years ago now, okay? I'm not talking about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, or three months ago. But the first time I had to bring the, I mean, she got upset. <laughs> and I was like, what just happened? And, and she had this response, which is a natural human response, a defensive response. Well, if you can do better, then you just do it, and I'll never do that again. And then she sort of realized, well, okay, if I do that, she could accept that. But that was going to be a ceiling. She was never, ever going to publicly speak ever. Because that is what she said. That's what she vowed. That was her undertaking. So she could have accepted that. But she felt convicted. And then she said, okay, show me. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm perfect. I mean, I'm learning. I'm learning. There's constantly, I'm constantly refining, constantly learning, constantly working on my delivery, constantly working on the execution, constantly working on what we do or what I do and how I do it. So it becomes more effective, more productive. We can never stop learning and we can never stop being open to receive instruction. Listen. So important. Then number four. Those who are few, few and far between, those who are both willing and able, the remnant. I want to give you seven characteristics of the remnant in closing. You can write this down. So let's do this slowly. Seven characteristics of the remnant. Number one. Number one is they act upon their faith. Number one is they act upon their faith. You see, these are the men and the women, the remnant. They possess great faith. You see, great faith is heard in their voice, identified in their words, and perceived in their overall disposition. Let me say that again. Great faith, mega faith, is heard in their voice so you can pick it up. The way they speak, it's different. The language they use, it's different. They do not have a pessimistic language. 
but an optimistic, inspirational language. There's certain people, if I hear three words, I'm like already, I'm, I'm, I'm checking out of that conversation. I just cannot stand that. I cannot stand negativity. I have a holy disdain, a holy discontent towards negativity. So I cannot exist in that environment. I have to depart from that environment. Negativity. I'm not saying I'm not open to hearing something that is wrong. But if you come with something that is wrong, if you present a challenge, I want you to at least attempt to give a solution. Otherwise, you are just murmuring, you are moaning, and you are none better than the ones who were in the wilderness complaining and murmuring. And then God saying, I will do exactly as I've heard you complain about. Great faith is heard in their voice, identified in their words, and perceived in their overall disposition. You can see a man and a woman of faith from afar. The way they carry themselves. It's like so childish. You know, certain children, because they have not mastered the art of proper communication, effective communication, now they let their body language show it, you know. Because the child doesn't have the ability to come to you and say, Mom, Dad, something's wrong. Something's bothering me. So what do they do? They begin to walk like this. And then what's going to happen as a parent? What is fault? And then that opens up the door. And then maybe you even get a response, Nux. Well, clearly something is wrong. But you can see a man or a woman of faith from afar. In the way that they speak, in the way that they talk, the words that they use, and also by their overall disposition. They are doers of the word. They are not just talk and no action. They do what they said they will do. So that's number one, they act upon their faith. Number two, they declare war against the status quo. They declare war against the status quo. Status quo. Quo, you spell Q-U-O. They are not ordinary. They do not live within the confines of what everyone expects. They constantly push the boundaries. They are pioneers. They are influencers. They are leaders. They start movements. They are bold. And they are daring. Number three. Is they are marked by their worship. You see the remnant. They are not ashamed to publicly show their devotion to the Lord. They are not ashamed to go on their knees. Or to lay prostrate in his presence. They are not ashamed to dance and sing aloud with joy either. They understand that if you can bow your knees to God, that you can stand before any man. To them, praise has become an effective weapon of war. Number four, the remnant, they are marked by their giving. They are stewards. They are faithful. They have a revelation that it is better to give than it is to receive. They have made the shift from need to purpose. They do not talk about their needs. They meet needs. They walk in the fullness of His covenant promises. 
Number five, they are carriers of his glory and of his presence. They are carriers of his glory and of his presence. You see, the remnant, they change the atmosphere wherever they go. They have a revelation of Christ in me, the hope of glory. They release the fragrance of the Lord wherever they go. The moment you enter into the room, the atmosphere shifts. The moment you enter into a room, the people in that room immediately look towards you because someone is in the room that carries something that they do not possess. And immediately and instinctly, their eyes shift towards you because they realize that you carry a solution to their challenge. Number six, they are carriers of His power. They have dominion and they exercise their God-given authority. They lay their hands on the sick and they see them recover. They are the ones who see unusual and extraordinary miracles. They do not look for power beyond. Why? Because they understand that the power is already within. Number seven, they are carriers of his fire. They are carriers of his fire. Isn't it interesting that in the beginning I remarked how everyone is gravitating towards the fire. If we do that in the natural, the same is true for us in the spirit. When we truly become carriers of his fire, people instinctively will become drawn to you. As a flame attracts a moth or insects from afar. So you will attract people from afar because of a fire that is burning from within. And if that fire is something that is burning so strongly and there is such warmth emanating from you, it is then that even kings and queens will locate you for the anointing that you carry. A lot of times we go to kings and queens because we understand that they can reward us in a way that no one else can truly reward because of their level in society. But people go to kings and queens with the perspective of I have a need and you are in a position to help me. But when you, even in the silence of what you are, if you are just about your business, you are just focused to do that one thing that God told you to do, you will be like that fire and they will be drawn to you. They will locate you and then they will come to you laying at your feet gifts because they have recognized you as a person of value. That's the difference. Think about a fire in the role of ancient civilizations. The fire was the central hub of conversation. It was the meeting place. It was also the place where weapons were forged and weapons were made. It was a place of a significance. You can become that person of significance in your society, in your area of influence. The go-to if the fire of God is only burning on the inside of you. In closing, I want to say this and just make this remark. Judges chapter 7 that we read, but verse 9. Where the Lord said this 
to Gideon. He said this. He said, get up, for I have given you the victory. After he had only 300 people left. 300 people left. I mean, think about this. If ever Gideon needed a pep talk, that was the moment. Lord, this is the cue. This is your cue. And the Lord doesn't come and, and say to him, Gideon, am I not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? You know, God doesn't come with any fancy introduction. He doesn't come with anything. You know, there's not, there's not angels who descend, angelic harps resonating in the atmosphere. You know, the atmosphere is being stirred up. No, God simply comes and says these words to him, get up, exclamation mark. Last week, I shared the message with you, arise. In the very same way, God simply says to Gideon, arise, get up, for I have given you the victory. So when God speaks to you and says to you this morning, get up, you might have this natural reaction. For what? For what purpose? Only to be knocked down again? Only to be humiliated again? Only to be ill-treated again. But I want you to hear the second part of that instruction. First of all, God says, get up. But then He says, get up for I have given you the victory. So He's saying, not only are you getting up, but that you will rise in victory. And also, when we know the rest of the story, like I know you do, what happened in the end? The 300 didn't even actually have to fight. They could have been one. They could have been two. They could have been three. The number, in essence, didn't even make any, any, any difference anymore. Do not look at what you have. Remain focused on the promise. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. If you'd like to help Kevin and Chantel reach and impact this generation, thank you in advance for sharing this episode with your world. If you have enjoyed Dominion today, follow Kevin and Chantel on Instagram, Facebook, and your favorite podcast platform, or connect with them online at dominion.org.za.